Hi, thanks for tuning in to stay tuned. You're listening to season one, episode 19, titled The Man from Uncle What Happens When James Bond Comes Out of the Cold and Into TV. In the mid 1960s, westerns were still the most popular show on television, with rural sitcoms coming on the scene. Crime shows still had their fair share of airtime, but spy shows were non existent. With the end of the Cold War, Bond movies and books like The Spy Who Came In from the Cold, these types of thrillers were bound to hit the small screen. From 1964 to 1968, the man from UNCLE took us behind the scenes to observe the dangerous life of special agents. Beginning on Tuesday nights on NBC, the show was produced by Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. The creator, Norman Felton, asked Ian Fleming to act as a consultant. Some sources list Felton as the sole creator, while others credit Sam Rolfe as co-creator. The book, The James Bond Films, mentions that Fleming suggested two characters, Napoleon Solo and April Dancer. Napoleon Solo became one of the main characters on The Man from UNCLE, and we'll learn a little bit more about April Dancer later. Solo was also a villain in the movie Goldfinger. Originally titled Solo, the popularity of the film led to a title change in the television show to The Man from UNCLE. Solo, played by Robert Vaughn, being an American, was set up on a partnership with a Russian Ilya Kirkin, played by David McCallum. The duo would take on multinational secret intelligence work under UNCLE, or the United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. They sometimes worked with Alexander Waverly, played by Leo G. Carroll, who headed up an English organization. They frequently went up against Thrush. We never learned exactly what part of Thrush, who or what their goals were, apart from taking over the world, of course. Solo was supposed to be the typical ladies' man, with Kirkin being the intelligent, funny, and loyal partner. But McCallum turned into an instant celebrity. Hysterical fans attended promotional appearances, and pop magazines gave he and his wife Jill Ireland little peace and quiet. One article I read discussed an incident in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when McCallum was locked in a bathroom so the police could clear out the screaming women. When he was supposed to do a spot for Macy's in New York, police had to disperse 15,000 screaming women who made it too dangerous for him to appear and did a colossal amount of damage to the store. Solo and Kirikin accessed their secret headquarters through a tailor shop, Del Floria's. In an interesting twist, the creators decided to feature an innocent character, a John Doe or Jane Smith, who the viewers could identify with in every episode. The theme music was created by Jerry Goldsmith, changing slightly each season as new composers came on board, for eight and all. With the exception of one show, the episodes were titled The Blank Affair. Every year, at least two-part show was aired. The pair of shows became theatrical films released in Europe. Additional footage was added to the movies. Some of these films were later seen on American television and include To Trap a Spy in 1964, The Spy with My Face in 1965, one Spy Too Many in 1966, The Spy in the Green Hat from 1967, and How to Steal the World in 1968. Although stuntmen were hired for the two leads, they also did their own stunts. Typically, the actor and stuntman each did stunts, and the final version combined the best of both. However, McCallum tried to avoid heights, and Vaughn disliked water scenes. Like Get Smart, the recurring characters were a small group, and guest stars were necessary for each episode. Both high-profile and up-and-coming actors were eager to appear on the show. William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy can be seen together in the Project Strigus affair, two years before they start on Star Trek. Other actors who appeared include Judy Carn, Joan Collins, Yvonne Craig, Broderick Crawford, Robert Culp, Chad Everett, 
Barbara Feldon, Anne Francis, Warner Klumper, Janet Lee, June Lockhart, Jack Lord, Ricardo Montalban, Leslie Nielsen, Carol O'Connor, Vincent Price, Cesar Romero, Kurt Russell, Sonny and Cher, and Telly Savalas. Of course, spies need technological gadgets to get a leg up on the competition. Some of their communication devices included a security badge and a business card. They could also communicate with a portable satellite disguised as a cigarette case or a fountain pen. Like all good crime fighters, the duo needed a car, and theirs was a Piranha Coupe based on the Chevrolet Corvair. Weapons were also a necessity in their line of work. The uncle special was a semi-automatic weapon, which was useful except at night when Thrush had access to sniper scope, allowing the villains to shoot in total darkness. The gadgets, props, and clothing for the show were so popular that they are exhibited in the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. The CIA also exhibits some of the show's items. Season one was a great success, even though partway through the season, the show moved from Tuesdays to Mondays. Season two came more tongue-in-cheek dialogue, and the series switched from black and white to full color. Although the show was moved to Friday nights, its popularity continued. Season three added a campy element, a la the Batman and Monkeys craze, against the star's wishes. The ratings decreased, and the show never attained the same quality and ratings again. It was renewed for a fourth season, but canceled partway through when there was no increase in viewership. Although the show was only extremely popular for two years, it garnered eight Emmy nominations and five Golden Globe nominations, including a win for David McCallum as Best Star in 1966. Of course, like all popular shows from the 1960s, a TV movie was made a few years later, and a big screen remake came decades later. The return of The Man from UNCLE, the 15 Years Later Affair, was seen on CBS, not NBC, in 1983, with both Vaughn and McCallum reprising their roles. At the beginning of the movie, we learned that although Thrush was obliterated with the arrest of its leader, he has now escaped prison. Rather than stick with the chemistry of the two leads, the TV movie pairs each with a younger agent. In 2015, Guy Ritchie's big screen, The Man from UNCLE, was set in the 1960s, featuring solo Kiriakin and Gabby Teller. The trio has to work together in a joint mission to stop an evil organization from using Gabby's father's expertise in science to build a nuclear bomb. All the while, they don't totally trust each other and secretly put their own country's agendas first. As far as reboots go, the film was actually a good rendition of the original show. Of course, there was no limit to the merchandising in connection with the show. Several comic books based on the series were published, as well as two dozen novels. In addition to membership cards, viewers could show their love for the show with board games, action figures, model kits, lunch boxes, and toy guns. I did promise to get back to April Dancer. So halfway through the Man from Uncle series, the network decided to release a spinoff, The Girl from Uncle, starring Stephanie Powers as April Dancer. Not as popular as the original, it was canceled after one season. Dancer works with British agent Mark Slate, played by Noel Harrison. Leo G. Carroll appeared as Mr. Waverly in this series as well. Luckily, Powers was fluent in several languages because Dancer often went undercover with a foreign accent. Unfortunately, Dancer reeled in the bad guys, but Slate was the one who got to kill them. However, April did get some cool gadgets, such as a perfume atomizer that sprayed gas and exploding jewelry. The show also used Goldsmith's theme music in an arrangement by David Grusin. Both The Girl from Uncle and The Man from Uncle are available on DVD. Although The Man from Uncle was only hugely popular for two years, and The Girl from Uncle never really attained a fan base, the show's concept spawned a huge pop culture obsession. At one point, more than 10,000 letters a week were delivered to the network. 
The show sparked an interest in spy shows that would pave the way for future shows like Mission Impossible, The Wild Wild West, I Spy, and Get Smart. Like The Man from UNCLE, each of these shows would result in reboot big screen movies in later decades, as well as a large output of memorabilia. It's interesting that this show feels dated now with the current technology, yet Get Smart continues to be a hit. I think the humor and campiness of Get Smart keeps it relevant, which is ironic because that's basically what brought about the end of The Man from UNCLE. Despite its current non-relevancy, it was an important part of pop culture and deserves to be celebrated for its cult status in the mid-60s and the realistic portrayal of spies to generations of viewers.